Thank you for being here today. You know, this is all voluntary. You didn't have to be here. You're not paid to be here. Uh, no one's taking attendance, all that. So thank you for coming and for uh, submitting yourself to God's plan for your life. God does have great plans. He knows the plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I believe God has a future in mind for us. I want to uh, cast some vision in the next several weeks, tell you the story of what God's leading us to do, and I know you're going to find it compelling and encouraging. I hope you'll be inspired enough to participate in a number of ways. We're starting this REACH campaign, and we're very excited about it. We've, uh, we've had two major capital campaigns over the years in 34 years. This is the third. I have cronies, some friends who pastor large churches who are in capital campaigns every three or four years. Uh, this is only the third in 34 years, so you're, you're welcome uh, from that. But uh, God is going to use this in a very powerful way, and I want to talk about it a little bit. Today I wanted to uh, consider this miracle of the multiplication of food that Jesus performed feeding the 5,000, and I think there's a lot we can learn from it, and I hope it'll be encouraging to you. So tonight, today's uh, reference is Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. I'm going to read for us verses 34 to 44. And so I'll ask you to turn there if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, would you please stand? I'll begin at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread, give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate, were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. I mean, God inspires today through this powerful miracle. You may be seated. Now, the next several weeks, uh, we're going to challenge each other uh, in three different ways. The first way is that we're going to show how everyone can give something to the REACH campaign. Everyone can give something. Remember, Jesus pointed out the widow who had given two mites, two pennies in an offering one day, and he suggested that she had given more than everyone else because she had given out of her need. She gave, gave all she had. And that means that everyone can give something, and I hope you will. Everyone should give something, even if it's just a little. It'll be meaningful to you and meaningful to God as well. We're also, second of all, going to ask you to be sacrificial, asking people to sacrifice. We will, without apology, look each other in the eye and ask you to be sacrificial in supporting the most important thing in the world, which is the kingdom of God and the initiatives of that kingdom. And so Beth and I will lead the way in being sacrificial, and we want to challenge each other to be sacrificial toward this REACH campaign. The third thing is that we're going to follow the biblical pattern for giving. The most uh, clear-minded pattern in the Scriptures in First Chronicles chapter 29, which is where King David raised the money to build the first temple in Jerusalem. And there's a pattern there 
vision casting, presenting the need, making the collection, receiving the offerings, and then celebrating what God had done. And we're going to follow that exact pattern uh, laid out in the scripture. Now, there's also some things that you should expect during the REACH campaign. Let me just rehearse those briefly. The first thing, you might want to put this on your outline, you, you should expect to see some miracles. Now, listen to me carefully. Anytime an individual or the people of God choose to do something faith-filled in a big, trusting way, to go for it for God, to, to, to dream big dreams, and to attempt great things for God, you can expect God to hear from heaven and respond to those people. It moves the heart of God when we act in a trusting, faith-filled way. It gives pleasure to God. It pleases Him when we trust Him. And so as we extend our faith and reach out in faith toward God, He is going to perform miracles. Now, these miracles are going to come in various forms. Little moments of grace are going to fill our lives. These are patterns of God's provision that we have seen in the past when we've attempted great things for God, and they will happen again. I promise you they will happen. Expect to see miracles, miracles of promotion into your job. You know, it just comes out of that you didn't anticipate it, but there it is. Some of you will be engaged to be married. Others of you will be going, me, me, me too, me too. And, and there, will, there will be unexpected income. There will be windfalls that come to you. There will be unusual moments of restoration in relationships or healing grace in your body. All kinds of miracles are going to take place. You can expect them. And remember, God responds to faith and trust. He doesn't respond to criticism. He doesn't respond to griping, complaining, whining, none of that stuff. But he does respond when we act in faith. And so expect miracles. Second thing you can expect is to grow spiritually. This happens every time. Inevitably, it happens that when you trust God and live by faith, He will help you to mature. He will teach you things. He will develop parts of your life that help you to grow spiritually. And it will happen. Now, here's the third thing you should expect. And I hate to bring this up, but it's true. And I, this is just fair warning from your pastor. Now, watch. If you, if you get invested in the campaign and you, and you really prayerful and devoted to, to this process God's given us to, you can expect to be hassled by Satan. Just expect it. Anytime you're going for God, if you've lived for Jesus long enough, you know you start trying great things for God, you can expect buffeting and resistance and opposition, and it just comes with the territory. It's part of the deal. And so you can expect it. In all the ways the devil hassles your life, you can expect a little bit more of that. Let me just say that one of the primary ways the devil tries to drive a wedge between us is through contention. This will happen in your marriage. Now watch, in your marriage, you will be praying together as a couple, asking God, how much should we pledge to the campaign? And you can expect this. Expect that there will be arguments, disagreements. These things will happen. It's the devil's way of driving a wedge, bringing contention. So one spouse will say to the other, I think we ought to pledge this amount of money to the campaign. And the other spouse will go, are you crazy? <laughs> that's, that's outrageous. Why in the world would you ever think about that? And there will be this moment when you're, when you're banging heads. When that happens, when that happens, would you take me, Greg, your pastor, and put me right in the middle of your fight? And I'll be standing there smiling saying, I told you <laughs> this is going to happen. And it will help you deal with it. It will help you process the argument that you're in. So expect to be hassled. And here's the last thing. Expect to experience joy. Expect it. In the next 
several weeks and months, this church, Union Chapel, is going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. Happy, happy, happy is going to come to us because when people learn to trust God in deeper ways, it makes them happy. It does, and it will work that way. So just, just, uh, just so you know, when we start talking about money and pledges and that sort of thing, it, it tends to make people a little nervous. There, what we've discovered is that there is, a, there is a direct connection. It's like a nerve. There's a nerve that runs from, the, from your heart right down to your wallet. And anytime you, you touch one of those, it makes people, you know, kind of, kind of freak out. <laughs> I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to be all worked up. I don't want you to be freaked out about this campaign. I want to give you permission to relax. Listen, look at your pastor. God is going to meet our needs. He is going to meet our needs. Whatever God calls us to, he will provide. Provision, listen, provision always follows the vision that God gives us. And the reason I know that with great confidence is because that is God's promise. And frankly, that's been our experience. God has always met our need. Always. Every time. And he's going to do it again. And so I have great confidence that God's going to meet our needs. I believe there are going to be ways and means that God uses that we haven't even dreamed of yet that God's going to use and he's going to help us to do what he's called us to do. And so I want you to feel, feel at ease. Be relaxed. Don't, don't worry. Don't get anxious about this. Just do what God asks you to do. We know just from experience that there are a couple of kinds of people. There, there's one kind of person in the church, and this is the great majority of us, that you're going to give to this campaign regardless of what, what is said. You're mature. You, you get it. You know, that, you know that God will speak to us and speak to our leadership. And when we see direction and see purpose and see destiny ahead of us, that's where we go. And you're mature enough to know, look, I don't need a special program. I don't need a special visit. I don't need a, I don't need a banquet. I don't need a letter. I don't need a call from the pastor. I don't need any of that because I'm in and I'm, just, I'm going to be supportive. And that's most of us. And so that's good for you. You're mature enough and you get it. Then there's a second group of people, and you're not going to give no matter what is said. You're not going to give. You're just not going to do it. And I know this is true, and this is a much smaller uh, percentage of us here at the, in the life of the church, but there are reasons why people don't give. One reason is because of pain in your life. You're in a particular season of crisis. Maybe you're facing a health crisis, and you have to deal with that, or a financial crisis, or, or a relational crisis. And you're just in pain right now. And the last thing on your plate is to try to figure out how much money you could give to a campaign. Uh, that's not what we expect. In fact, we want to say to you, how, how can we help you? We love you. You're part of the family. We want to make sure you get through this season of pain, this season of crisis, so that you come through the other, the other side of it in a better place. And so we're here for you. And, we, and, and it's a legitimate reason not to give. There, there's another reason why people won't give, and could, if I could just be blunt, the reason is because they're immature. They aren't able to connect the dots between the need and the provision. They, it doesn't occur to them. They come into a nice worship space like this, and it's you know, climate-controlled and, and well-lighted, and, and it's nice and it's pleasant, and everything works, and it's a good experience, and you can connect with God that way. But it never occurred to you that someone actually sacrificially paid to make sure this room was available, that you pulled your car onto the parking lot this morning 
and that paved lighted parking lot where your car is sitting right now was actually provided by someone who paid the money in order to provide it. And so there's this immaturity and this disconnect. You just don't get it. You think, you know, Tinkerbell came flying through and sprinkled dust, you know, magic dust everywhere, and it just, shazam, it all happened. But it doesn't happen that way. And you just uh, haven't been able to get it yet. Just not there. And then there's, a, there's another group, and this is maybe just a very, very, very small percentage of people. And the reason you won't give is because you're selfish and you're self-centered. Now, it's not your job to remind people around you that they're selfish. That's my job as the pastor to do that. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a pretty good job too, right? I, you know, I just made somebody feel really uncomfortable. And that's my job. That's my deal. So, so uh, God gives me uh, special grace to help you with that. Did you, know, did you know that miser and miserable go together? They have the same root, miser and miserable. If I ask you the question this morning, how many of you want to be miserable, utterly miserable in 2016? Could I have a show of hands? No one's going to raise their hand because no one wants to be miserable. Well, no, count me out. I don't want to be, have misery. Well, that, that's the first symptom of a person who's miserly is misery. And so I just want to encourage you to be a selfless person, not a self-centered person. And we'll get to some of that as well. So I want, want to encourage you the best we can. Let's get into our account now of this multiplying miracle. The, the real essence of this miracle and the, the applicable part to our lives now is that Jesus can take a little and make it a lot. From a little to a lot. Now that should encourage you because there are seasons in our lives, and you'll agree with this, when you need more of something than you have of that something. There are seasons in your life when you need more more time than you have. You just have a little, but you need a lot. There are times when you need more money than you have, but you only have a little. There, there are times in life when you need more talent than you have, more capacity than you have, and you only have a little. There are times when you need to be more healthy than you are to accomplish God's will for your life, but your health is suffering. You only have a little. You, there are times in your life when you need relationships or connections, opportunities, that are big, but you find that you only have small connections and opportunities. So there are many times in life when we have a little and we need more. And what this story is about is the ability that Jesus has to take the little that we have and make it much more, make it great. And so we want to look at that and consider that and talk about it a little bit today. And you should know that this is the only miracle that occurs in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four report this miracle of the multiplication of food, the feeding of these 5,000. And these are 5,000 men, so likely there's as many as 20,000 men, women, and children who are fed miraculous by, by Jesus, these five loaves and two fish, five and two. So if you have your outlines, I want, you, I want to start with this first idea, how to expect a miracle, how to receive a miracle from God. This is how you do it. And the first point is simply this. Number one, you have to admit you have an unsolvable problem. Admit you have an unsolvable problem. This story unfolds. Thousands of people have followed Jesus out in the wilderness. He begins to teach them. They listen to him for hours because it's so compelling, so wonderful, so life-giving, so transformative. And so they're listening to Jesus and understandably, but as the day goes on, they get tired and they get hungry. 
And so the disciples say to Jesus, you know, the boys out there, they're getting hungry. The kids are hungry. Kids are fussing. Kids are hungry. So send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says what? He says, you feed them. <laughs> and they go, that's a joke, right? We're, we're, we're miles from the nearest McDonald's. In this case, it would have been the McDavid's. But, but they're miles away from any fast food. There's, and so they, they say physically, practically, humanly, it's impossible. It's impossible to feed all these people. And so they're in touch with an unsolvable problem. Now, let me just be straightforward about this. If you don't have an unsolvable problem, then you don't need a miracle. If you don't have an unsolvable problem, then you don't need a miracle. So it works like this. The guy comes up to his pastor and says, Pastor, pray for me. I've gained 20 pounds over the holidays. I need a miracle. Well, that person doesn't need a miracle. What they need is a diet. That's different than a miracle. See, a miracle requires an unsolvable problem. But if it's solvable, then you should solve it. So go on a diet. A diet. Let me just tell you what a diet is. Let me just summarize. It's eat less and move more. That's how you lose weight. Eat less, move more. You can pay me for that information later. It's like professional help. Or the guy who comes up and says, please pray. Please pray for me. I've got this consumer debt, this credit card debt, and four of my credit cards are maxed out, and I'm in a, I'm in a mess. I'm in a please. I need a miracle. Please pray that God would do a miracle. Listen, you don't need a miracle. You need a budget. You need a plan. You need to go through financial peace and learn the strategies and the disciplines necessary. Look, you, you dug your way in, so now build your way out. And that's how it works. And so you, you need to recognize whether the problem is solvable. And if it is, you should solve it. And if it's not, then it's unsolvable and you need a miracle. And that's where these guys found themselves. In Mark's gospel, their, his record and in chapter 6 of this miracle, these guys, these guys are saying, look, they've put off all day arranging for food and now it's too late. So they procrastinated. Then the second thing they do is they pass the buck. Look, we didn't invite these people out here. We didn't promise we'd feed them. You know, it's their problem. They've, they've got to figure it out for themselves. They pass the buck. And then they're worrying. This will take a half year's wages to do this. And even if we had the money, we don't have the logistics. It's impossible. We can't do it. And so they procrastinate. They pass the buck. And they worry. Let me ask you. You know, it's easy for us to point our finger at those guys. How many times do we employ this model in the face of an unsolvable problem. You ever procrastinate? If you do, you'll discover that procrastination never helps the problem and only makes it worse. I wonder if you're moving into 2016, if you have a problem in your marriage that you're ignoring, pretending it doesn't exist, procrastinating, doing something about it. I wonder if you have a challenge in your finances and you just keep putting it off, procrastinating, instead of doing something about it. We have struggle in your health. You know there's something wrong with your body. But you keep putting it off, procrastinating, not doing something about it, pretending like it's not there. What is it that you need to get to? Because procrastination doesn't help. It just makes it worse. And then there's this uh, passing the buck. 
You know, do you, do, you, do you hear yourself or you notice others around you always blaming somebody else? It's his fault, it's hers fault. If they hadn't have done that, then this wouldn't happen to me. If they hadn't have set me up or messed with me or hurt me, then I wouldn't be in this situation. Passing the buck. You know how you spell blame? Be lame. Passing the buck doesn't help. Taking responsibility is what helps. I'm responsible for my actions and reactions. I'm responsible. I'm not blaming others. Then the last thing they did was worry. Gosh, we could spend a whole month on that, couldn't we? Because it's so easy for us to get caught up in worry and anxiety. You can hear, hear Peter, you know, when Jesus says, you feed them, he's going, oh, geez. You know, how do we get food? How do we keep it warm? How do we distribute it? And then who's doing the cleanup? And what about the liability insurance? And, and, and he's just going through the list. And oh, my gosh. And so it's overwhelming. And life can hand us those kinds of reactions. Yeah. So here's the point. Procrastinating, passing the buck, worrying, that doesn't help. But what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with the picture is Jesus is standing right there. Peter's going, we can't do this. It's impossible. What do you mean? Feed them ourselves. It's overwhelming. It's crazy. It's, it can't be done. So stop it. But he's standing next to Jesus. <laughs> That's what's wrong with the picture, because Jesus can make the stones into bread. Jesus can cause manna to fall from heaven. Jesus can do all kinds of things. These boys have seen him do it. They've seen him calm the storm. They've seen him make wine out of water. They've seen him perform miracles of healing. They've seen him do some stuff, and they know he's got the miracle power in him, and yet they're complaining about the impossibility of their situation. Let me ask you something. Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? And if he has, it's because you didn't have enough time or enough money or enough energy or enough education. And you just concluded you're the wrong guy for the job, so you gave up. You know, when Moses was called of God, the burning bush, you know, Moses said, no, you got the wrong guy. I'm not the deliverer. I'm not the deliverer you think I am. I've got issues. I've got I've got weaknesses. I've got, I've got stuff in my life. I've got baggage. I can't do that. You've got the wrong guy. Jeremiah was called of God. God, was, God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nation that was stiff-necked in rebellion and running from God and away from God. And God told Jeremiah to go preach repentance and, and judgment, that the judgment of God was going to fall. And then he said, oh, and by the way, no one's going to listen to a word you say. You'll preach until you're blue in the face and not one person will pay attention to you. You won't have one convert, your whole ministry, but get out there and give it your best shot. Jeremiah just started crying. That's, he became the weeping prophet. He said, why, why me? But the attitude we want is Isaiah's attitude. You remember in Isaiah 6, he saw the Lord. He had an epiphany, a theophany of God himself seated on the throne. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted. And he saw, he saw God on the throne and he realized his own sin and the sin of the nation and saw the need and felt the responsibility of that need. And when God then said in that context, who will go for us and who will we send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And that's the right response in the face of an unsolvable problem. You say, God, you're a big God. I, I'm, I'm small and I'm insignificant. But if there's anything you can see in me, anything you can use uh, that's of value in your hands through my life, here I am. And so I submit myself. I give myself to you. 
I give you my life. I give you my passions. I give you my dreams. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. I give you my all. Maybe you can use me. Yeah. So you have to come to terms with an unsolvable challenge. And then the second thing, it's on your outline. I hope you'll write this down. Give God what little I already have. Give God what little I already have. You know, I can't imagine that among 20,000 people, there's only five loaves and two fish. But when they go out and do reconnaissance to find out how much food there is, there's only one guy that presents food. You can see other people hiding food. But one little guy, one little boy, he's got, he's got a little sack lunch of fish sandwiches from his mother, five loaves, two fish, five and two. And he becomes the hero of the story because he's willing to offer up what he's got. He's the hero. He gives God what little he had. Last night after Saturday's service, a single mom came up to me. She had the little pledge card that you have in your bulletin there for the REACH campaign. She had the envelope. She had filled out every line on the pledge card. This woman is very modest, very, very modest. Modest dress, modest appearance. She lives right on the edge. She lives right on the margins. She lives hand to mouth. She just makes it. That's all. She subsists. That's her life. That's her story. She does the best she can. She came up to me. She had no agenda. She was utterly sincere. It was striking to me how sincere she was and how determined she was and how willing she was. And she walked up to me and she said, I'm sorry, Pastor, I didn't get this in the offering when it went by, but I want to, want to give this to someone tonight. Could I give this to you? And I said, sure. And she handed it to me. It was the little envelope there, the reach envelope. And she went away and I went back to my office before I left last night. And I just op- It was open and I opened it up and her little pledge card was completely filled. And then I noticed on the pledge card that she had pledged to the REACH campaign, $10 per month. And also in the envelope was a little wrinkled up $10 bill. So she made her first deposit on her pledge, $10 a month. And I sat there and I thought, that's it. That's it right there. That's it. There it is. Let me tell you what that is, friends. That's the beginning of a miracle. Let me tell you how I've grown as a pastor. When I was a young pastor, a man walked in my office. In similar circumstances, the church had presented a need and people were giving to that need. And he walked in my office one day and he's blue collar. and He had a couple little babies. They live hand to mouth. He'd been laid off much of the prior year. He walked in my office one afternoon and he, and he looked at me very soberly, very sincerely, just like this woman last night. And he said to me, God spoke to me, and he told me to give, give the church $120. And he put $120 on my desk, and he just stood there. And when I was a young pastor, I knew his story, and I knew the needs of his family. And you know what I did? I made a big mistake. Let me tell you, let me tell you how my faith was weak and how I sinned against that man. You all understand it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
You understand that? It takes more grace to give than it does grace to receive. So what I said to that man was, I don't have even a, the little enough grace to receive what God's told you to do compared to the great grace that you have to give it under your circumstances. And I talked him out of it and gave it back to him. What a pitiful pastor. Now some of you are going, you did the right thing. No, I did the wrong thing. Because listen to me, it's not about $120. It's not about $10. It's not about two cents. It's never about the money. It's about your heart in it and your willingness to place into God's hand whatever you have to give. And this little guy gave Jesus five and two. That's what he had. And Jesus turned it into something really big. We're still talking about it. Still talking about it. And so I, I paused last night in my office with that $10 bill in my hand, and I said, God, I thank you tonight that you are going to bless that woman and meet her need in ways that she would never dream. Thank you, God, that you're going to honor this obedience because just as sure as we're in this room right now, God will take care of her. Because mm -hmm. that's the way it works. Listen to me. God will not be beholding to you. You hear me? God will not be in debt to you. Or to me. It's not his style. That's not his deal. That's not the way it works. He'll, he'll not be wringing his hands going, how am I going to make up for that person's generosity? That's not, that's, not the, that's not the way it goes. God will not be indebted to you. He will take care of you as you place in his hands what little you have. Now here's the, I want you to write this down right under point number two on your, on your, on your outline. Here it is. Write this down. God always starts with what I have. God always starts with what I have. So I give my little time. I don't have a lot of time. I give the little I have. I don't have a lot of money. I give what little I have. I don't have a lot of talent. I just give what I have. I, the, the need requires eight talents. I only have one, but I give the talent that I have and see what God might do. I give my sex life. What? What little I have. Hope for more. That, that was a nervous laughter right there, wasn't it? <laughs> I did that just for fun. <clears throat> it was great fun. Sorry. Sorry at your expense, but it was nice. So, <laughs> two people laughed nervously. It was great. <laughs> Everyone else was going... What does he mean by that? Go home, think it through, you'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> in John's gospel, he reports that when Jesus sent the guys off to find out how much food was in the crowd, this is what it says, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, that's really cool, because what we know to be true is that Jesus already knows our need before we know how to ask for it. God always has the answer before I even know the problem. God always has the solution ready before we even know there's a question. And that's true in your life. That's true in our lives. So God is going to make a way for us in the context of this campaign. He's going to meet our need. He's already figured out how he's going to do that. He knows in advance how he's going to take care of you 
and how he's going to take care of that family and how he's going to take care of that woman. He, he knows what he's going to do. Our role is to obey. So give what God what little we already have. And then here's the third thing. Put it all in the hands of Jesus. Put it all in the hands of Jesus. This is, this is how it works. Verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He blessed the food, broke the loaves, kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. So God will use whatever I give him. And this little guy, remember, he gave willingly, he gave cheerfully, he gave immediately. He didn't hoard. He didn't, he didn't clutch what he had. He didn't hide what he had. He gave willingly. He gave cheerfully. He didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He didn't worry. He gave cheerfully and he gave immediately. When the need was presented, he said, yeah, here it is. This is what I've got. And so we learn to put all that we have in the hands of Jesus. It's all his anyway. So we just put it all in his hands. And that leads me to the fourth point. You want to write this down. Expect God to multiply it. Expect God to multiply it. Everyone ate, had enough. Afterwards, they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. I love this. I love this. Can you imagine? They probably loaded up the little guy with five and two and gave him two arms full to go home. Can you see him walking in the door? His mother said, where did you get all that food? Because food was precious, valuable. Where did you get all that food? And he said, well, I took my fish sandwich that you made for my lunch, and I gave it to Jesus, and he multiplied it, and now there's more. She said, you get in your room right now. You wait till your father gets home. That's ridiculous. Lying about things like that. Where did you get that food? He said, I told you. I gave the five and two to Jesus. He, he fed 20,000 people with my sack lunch. That's it, young man. You are in trouble. You wait till your Get in your room till you decide you're going to tell the truth. I mean, would you believe that story? I mean, it is mind-boggling. It's a big deal. But here's the fourth principle. Write this right under the fourth point on your outline. Write this down somewhere. Whatever I give, I always get back more. Whatever I give, I always get back more. So he ends up with more than he started with. Now here we are in the world in which we live. And listen, you believe this too. The world is hungry. Do you agree? Spiritually hungry. Spiritually hungry. Muncie is spiritually hungry. Our nation is spiritually hungry. Our world is spiritually hungry. You know that's true. And Christian people in today's world are saying, God, you're going to have to do something because we're unraveling. We're starving here spiritually. We, we don't know what to do. Uh, if, the foundation, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's our prayer. We say, God, what is happening to us? You're going to have to do something. And so most of us have postured ourselves in the midst of a spiritually hungry world. And we say, God, do something for us. Do something for us. Help us. We're starving. And you know what God, you know what God does? God, God hears us praying that, that he would do something for us while God is waiting to do something through us. Now, what I just said there is so powerful and so important that if you apply the simple principle of what I just described in that phrase, it would change everything about your life. Rather than waiting for God to do something for you, that you realize God wants to do something through you. And if you get that, it'll change everything. 
And so the prayers of Christian people in America, around the world, in Muncie today, God, do something. Do something for us. Spiritual starvation here. We're all hungry. Please help us. We're desperate. Do something, God. You know what God says? You feed them. You see the need? You feed them. You see the challenge? You feed them. You know they're spiritually hungry? Go feed them. And we push back and say, no, no, you don't understand, God. The need is too big. It's unsolvable. It's too great. It's too overwhelming. We can't possibly respond to that. Jesus said, well, what do you have? Well, we've just got this little puddle of stuff. That's all we've got. Perfect. Give it to me. All we've got is five and two. Jesus said, if you'll put it in my hands, I'll do the miracle. And then we learn in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, for with God, nothing is impossible. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great word? Does that encourage you? Listen, you can, face, you can face the future. You can face the challenges in your life because with God, nothing is impossible. You need a miracle today. You have an unsolvable problem. You take whatever it is you have. You place it in the hands of Jesus. Just give all of it to him and trust him for the breakthrough. Trust him for the provision. Trust him for the miracle because with God, nothing shall be impossible. Do you have an ear for that? And that's what we can hear today. And this is the message of hope that God provides for us as we face a new year and face the unique challenges of his mission in our lives. So be encouraged today to know he's with us. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you for this powerful story. Thank you for working so wonderfully through the willing, cheerful obedience of this boy and the lessons that we can learn if we'll simply trust you with every detail of our lives. Lord, you can do anything. All things are possible. That means you can raise a dead marriage in 2016. If you can raise the dead, you can raise a dead marriage. You can raise a dead career in 2016. If you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can raise a dead career. Lord, you can raise a dead dream 2016. If you can raise a dead human being, you can raise a dead dream. Lord, you can raise dead finances in 2016. If you can raise Jesus from death to life, you can raise dead finances. God, you can do anything. Easter proves it. This miracle of the multiplication of food, it proves it. The Bible says in the Old Testament, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. And we have the example that the greater the sacrifice, the greater the results. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice, giving his life for the sins of the world. He didn't just die on a cross. He died to take my guilt and my shame to be my lamb. And it resulted in the salvation of the world. And friend, you can enter into that salvation today, this, this year. Jesus said in John 12, a kernel of wheat must be given away and planted in the soil. In other words, a packet of seed doesn't do anything if it sits on the shelf. But a kernel of wheat, if 
you give it away, you plant it in the soil, unless it dies and is buried, it will remain a single seed, but its death will produce many more seeds and a great harvest. And so it is with you, friend, that if you submit your life to God, say yes to Him, He will raise it up and multiply it beyond your imagination. So entrust your life to Him in this year and be blessed in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.